The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, on today's show, which is being brought to you by our friends at uh, Millennium and Morphotech and at uh, Novartis Oncology, we are joined by a guest who wanted to get into the 1% club, meaning she wanted to be a part of the 1% of people who would survive a challenging stage 4 lung cancer diagnosis. The cards were completely stacked against her, but she never gave up hope and joined her medical team in the fight of her life. But before we hear this incredible story, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. When breast cancer develops during pregnancy, its diagnosis and treatment are often delayed. As a result, the women's long-term survival may be jeopardized, doctors at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center report. Pregnancy-associated breast cancer is the most frequent cancer associated with pregnancy, but it is low on the list of possible diagnoses that most doctors consider. Furthermore, pregnancy can mask symptoms of breast cancer, making it more difficult to recognize, they noted. The team identified all cases of breast cancer associated with pregnancy that were treated at their institution between 1973 and 2006. 51 developed cancer during pregnancy, while 53 occurred within a year after pregnancy. Women with pregnancy-associated breast cancer had more advanced tumors than similar young women who were not pregnant, indicating delayed diagnosis. Nevertheless, outcomes were similar in the two groups, the researchers report in the medical journal Cancer. That's probably because most women were given a course of chemotherapy before undergoing surgery. Among the 51 women who developed breast cancer during pregnancy, 25 received no treatment until after delivery. There was a trend toward worse 10-year survival rates with deferred treatment compared with treatment during pregnancy. In addition to timely treatment, the research team also urges thorough diagnostic evaluation of breast symptoms that occur during pregnancy using ultrasound or, with proper shielding of the fetus, mammography. In other news, a test that looks for tumor cells in the blood may make doctors better able to check whether chemotherapy is helping a prostate cancer patient, researchers reported last week. The cell search test, made by the Johnson & Johnson unit Veridex, works better than standard tests for men whose prostate cancer has spread. The test counts the number of cancer cells that have broken away from the tumor and are circulating in the blood. 
In a study involving 164 men, the researchers found that cell search helped them monitor the response to chemotherapy in patients who had prostate cancer that had spread and were not being helped by hormone therapy. They said it worked better than a standard test that looks at prostate-specific antigens, or PSA, levels. It shows that the CTC, or circulating tumor cells count, can be used to help determine an individual's prognosis, particularly when the counts are high. It also helps in terms of understanding if the treatment is working. Once prostate cancer has advanced to the point that chemotherapy may be used at a late stage, unlike in many other cancers, doctors often struggle to determine how well the treatment is working, said John Neat of the Prostate Cancer Charity, a London-based advocacy group. Measuring circulating tumor cells seems to be more finely attuned to the effects of chemotherapy than previously thought. There are, therefore, circumstances when some men will benefit from further courses of chemotherapy treatment when at present they may not be offered. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. It seems that everyone knows someone who's been diagnosed with cancer. This year alone, there will be 1.5 million new cases in the United States alone. But what if one of those cases is you? Suddenly, the only statistic you care about are your chances of survival. For one woman, her potential for survival was a mere 1% due to late-stage lung cancer. But through incredible medical technology and an unwavering spirit to live, she's here with us today to share her story and give hope to our listeners. I'm talking about Diana Lindsay, who is not only a cancer survivor, but a proud member of the 1% Club. Thanks for being here, Diana. I'm delighted. We are also joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Mitch Goland, a psychologist and senior vice president of research at the cancer support community. Hello, Mitch. Hello, Kim. Diana, great to be with you today. Great to be with you, Mitch. So we've got a lot to talk about on the show and quite an amazing story. Um, Diana, I'm going to start with you. Would you take, uh, take us and our listeners back uh, to the day that you were first diagnosed with cancer? Tell us about that. What, what was it like for you to hear those words, you, you have cancer? I don't think it's ever fun to hear those words, and I found out those words because I couldn't blow out the candles on my birthday cake. Mm. Hardly seems a significant enough thing to lead to such a significant milestone in my life. Uh, But I had one advantage at that moment, and that was it was not the first time I'd heard it. Mm. I had heard it 15 years before, and I had had colon cancer and had survived. So after the initial shock of the doctor giving me a call at 4 o'clock on a late Friday afternoon, after five minutes, my husband and I looked at, at each other and said, what do we need to do? And we had a week before we could actually get into the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and and really know what we were up against. And we spent that week uh, extricating ourselves from the business we built up for 17 years. We invited all of our family and we invited all of our friends to a love-in. To a what? A love-in. What's that, Diana? Well, that's what you do when you think you need to tell your friends that you have cancer and you can't face it. Mm-hmm. and you can't face individual conversations with them, you can't face phone calls, and I just had this idea that I would just stand for two hours at an open house. But because I sent out the email and called at the love-in, 150 people came wearing bell-bottoms and beads, <laughs> and we sang and we danced for six hours, and at the end of it, I thought I felt better, and I thought, Here's the beginning of my healing plan. 
So did the, so you so you couldn't blow out the candles on your cake. So that took you work to your primary care doctor. Tell tell us right. a little bit more about the about the path and about the diagnosis. Well, the path was that I had had a history of sinus infections. I I was a marketing consultant, and I traveled the world, and every plane I got on, I would come off of sick. Mm. And the doctor, I went to a sinus specialist, and he said, oh, yeah, you're in a world of hurt, and you need surgery. I resisted it. Uh, I finally said, uncle. And he sent me to my private uh, GP for a pre-op. And she's the one that said, I'm not buying this for a sinus infection. Walked me across the street, got an X-ray, called me back the next day for a CT. I've never smoked, so it wasn't anything anybody had on their radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it turned out to be. And they said you, they told you you had stage 4 lung cancer. No, that's, that was the, the interesting thing is they... They didn't tell me. She told me maybe it's stage two. Mm. And I didn't find out till it was four, till I was coming out of anesthesia in the mm-hmm. biopsy room. Mm-hmm. Not really a good place to hear something like that. And so what did they say to you? Uh, this was the biopsy surgeon, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's stage four, it's inoperable, and walks out the door. Mm. And I'm alone uh, in a room, groggy, and come back to my family, who's just yep. been told that, the operation went as they planned, and I go, well, it's not really as we planned. Yeah. And uh, because it was delivered so poorly, we, we, <laughs> we not only killed the messenger, we didn't believe him. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until we got to the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance that we really found out that it had gone all the way across my left lungs, through my lymph nodes, into my right, and into my brain. And that's when we knew we were in a world of hurt. And, and when was that, Diana? How long ago was that? That was April in 2006, four years ago. And what did they, at that time, did they give you a prognosis? Did they tell you how much time you had to live? Did yeah. they, I mean, it seems like a pretty grim piece of information. A very grim piece of information. The doctor said that uh, there was nothing he could do, mm-hmm. that uh, he, his estimate was, it was a year, uh, my GP happily didn't tell me, but when she went to the chart, she thought it was three months. And uh, a radiation oncologist I met further on in the story said when he looked at my initial scans, he would have given me four. So, you know, I, I was given palliative care, and that's the moment you feel like you're falling, 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 and you'll never get up off that road, of that cancer road. Yeah. So Mitch Diana's story is pretty uh, incredible, and I think folks need to know pretty unusual um, uh, for the diagnosis that uh, that she was given. But Mitch, talk uh, to our folks a little bit about. I mean, that's got you know, it's got to be one of the worst things you could ever be yeah. told. You, you, you number one that you have cancer, but number two now that you have you have some some form of advanced sure. cancer. How does you know kind of has to hit somebody in the face? How do you even begin to process it? How do you be in, begin to deal with it at that moment that you're told? Well, uh, just just building, Kim, it's a, it's a great question, and Diana, your your story and um, the experiences you're describing are both profound and moving, and all too familiar, all too familiar. It, one of the things, Kim, that that uh, in answer to your question, uh, it, it, one of the things that that, that uh, Diana shared was how she created a love-in, mm-hmm. and that's completely linked to emotional reframing yeah. from 
her experience, she was able to find a way to make it meaningful and valuable and hopeful and supportive and loving. And, and you know, so many folks who are faced with such a, a grim, really, uh, prognosis uh, experience that falling feeling. And I a, think fall, a, fall, a falling feeling. That falling feeling, like mm-hmm. you're falling off the edge of the earth in free fall. Mm-hmm. And it and it just seemed like where we were leading to was how Diana made some decisions on how she would cope with that free falling feeling. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Diana, maybe you can share more how you really incorporated friends and family, and particularly your husband, in addressing those feelings would really be meaningful to our to our listeners. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there were. A few things that happened right at the beginning. My my husband is my soulmate, and he, you know he is as shocked as I am. There are eleven people of us stuffed into this doctor's office. We hold the record at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for <laughs> most stuffed in a room. There's a plaque on the wall. Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> you just you took the love in everywhere you went, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a mobile, like a mobile. <laughs> it's a very good thing because you enter shock, and so does everybody else in the room. Yeah. And I later learned it takes ninety seconds to process the initial shock uh, chemical mm. through your body. So you can just imagine that it's sort of like that Far Side cartoon where you're going rough, 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 rough rover. And yeah. every 90 seconds, you hear a word, and then you check out again. Yeah. And your daughter hears a different word, and your husband feels hears a different one, and you get together for coffee after, and you try to figure out what the heck happened in there. Um, my husband immediately started to learn something called Jinshin Jitsu. He didn't believe in it. He had no faith in it. But all it was was, was basically healing touch. It gave him something to do. And it ended up giving everybody, all 11 of those people and anybody who walked through the door, something to do. They would hold my fingers, they'd hold my toes, and through all of their body posture, they told me they loved me. And it was a very beautiful moment, and I promoted it simply because I had all these people staring at me with big eyes, not knowing what to do, and here was something. And the interesting thing was it took away my cough. So we we got a result from that. And then I, my other um, children came, and they hadn't been faced with that shock. Yeah. And they came bearing books, and it was Andrew Weil, Spontaneous Healing, Larry Dossie's The Extraordinary uh, Power of Ordinary Things. And I finally came to the realization what, that it was worth hoping. It was worth trying. There wasn't any overt sign that I would be successful, but it was worth the journey. I had a nine-month-old granddaughter, and she was all I needed. All you needed. Uh, this is Kim Thibodeau. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Um, today we're talking about beating the odds. We're talking to Diana Lindsay, who uh, was told in 2006 that she pretty much had a few months uh, to live with uh, stage four lung cancer, and here she is with us today in 2010, uh, talking about her story, talking about how she has battled cancer uh, over these years and uh, come out on the other side. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. 
Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Journey into the realm of spirit, the source of all things. Master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing. Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, will awaken the unique genius within you. Host Christina Pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health, well-being, and joy through the practices of Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. Tune in each week to Why Shamanism Now, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on 7th Wave Network. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host. Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. On today's show, we're here with Diana Lindsay, a cancer survivor who truly beat the odds, and Dr. Mitch Golant, Senior Vice President of Research at the Cancer Support Community. We've just heard why uh, emotional support and being in touch with family and having a good network is uh, so important to go along with your medical treatment for cancer. Uh, but there are uh, some specific things that people can do to become more involved uh, in, in the recovery process. Um, Diana, you, you talked about this so wonderful love in being surrounded by friends and family and, and having this wonderful network um, of, of, of folks who are going to support you. Did, you. did you decide at that point that you were not going to accept what the doctors were telling you, or were you trying to th- think of a good way to die, or were you, you know, what, what was going through your head and your heart at that time when they told you you have a few months to live? I think that I, my thought was that I accepted their um, prognosis. I rejected their outcome. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing to base that on, but 
but hope. And what I did was I, I finally came to the analogy that my doctor and my team were going to give me absolutely the very best that they had. And they did have something up their sleeve. I didn't know it at first, but they did have a pill for me. And although my doctor said that he couldn't get me from Seattle to New York, he said he could get me part way. And I just resolved that I would get myself the rest of the way. So I had to start to see what would that be. And there's a freedom in palliative care because nobody has the answer. If they have the answer, they tell you. Right. Um, So you have to build that up yourself. And, And the way that I did that was going back to that feeling of the love in what in this moment makes me feel better? Yeah. And it was really about, it's not a prescription for someone else. It was about me, yeah. what, what drives me, what are my strengths. And I focused on those. What are my strengths? If you're going to go into battle, you know, bring your best forces. Yeah. And I started to say, in this moment, what's available to me? And in this moment, there, wa- there was not only that wonderful outside support, that very, very beginning inklings that there might be some kind of external connection and forces that I could tap, but I also started to learn how to get in touch with my body and talk to myself and myself. So, Mitch, it really, it sounds like, Diana really decided that she was going to become educated and right. empowered and really get in touch with herself and kind of take this experience, um, you know, as, as it came to her. I mean, I know in our organization we talk about this idea of the, of the patient active concept, being empowered and educated. Um, tell, what is your take on, on Diana's experience yeah, and how it kind of relates to our philosophy? Sure, it's an incredible story. And in fact, uh, Diana, your observation on how you proceeded reminded me of uh, what Norman Cousins uh, used to say. You don't have to deny the illness to defy the prognosis. And your decision to, in face of uncertainty, you had absolute freedom to make whatever choices you thought were in your best interest. And at the heart and soul of the patient active concept is, you know, the decision you make to be actively engaged in your treatment, in your treatment decisions and what you conceive of and perceive as support. And it looks like you've decided quite clearly that your family and friends, the love in that you described with your particularly linked to to your soulmate, to your husband, is an essential aspect of that support. And so much within what the cancer support community provides is an opportunity for people to be with each other in in, in a way to get the support, sometimes in, in ways when they don't have the support that you've received. The the other piece of it that you described is wonderful information that was meaningful to you. You know, there's so much cancer information out there. And how do you tailor the information in packets or segments that you can use? And you describe really beautifully how you're going to proceed. But one of the key pieces you're also describing is that you had an opportunity, if you were to live so long, that there would be new treatments coming down the road. And that's incredibly hopeful combined with information, combined with medication, combined with support. Those are the ingredients of support. Plus, there's a way that you described that you were going to work with your own body, talking to yourself emotionally or physically. 
that's incredibly interesting, Diane. Especially in link of the link to the cancer support community's philosophy, as Kim has articulated. So, D- Diana, did you, um, in addition to kind of friends and folks around you, and deciding you were going to really be in touch with yourself through this process, did you seek any kind of outside support? Did you go to support groups or any pr- programs that were external? Any exercise programs? Any uh, mind body programs that you found to be um, to be helpful? I actually didn't at first. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had such a wide network yeah. right around me. Um, what what I did do, and I I was an avid reader. I just started inhaling information, as Mitch says. And you know, there's so much out there. How do you know what to believe, what not to believe? There's so much around diet that makes it difficult to figure out. Yeah. I just decided to eat well and to not worry about it. I uh, decided that exercise was important, and so I walked every day, and I built up my strength from one block to five miles a day. And I walked with people. I brought my uh, Kelly. I carried our grandchild in a sling. I brought my friends. And then I reached out. This was the most amazing thing, and everybody should do this regardless if they get cancer. I started reaching back to anybody that has ever made a difference in my life, to thank them for that role that they had played. Mm. And that led me all over the country and to very, very memorable moments. And I, th- I think that love releases in us chemistry that is healing. Um, Diana, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What, what it, how did it occur to you? Sorry, Kim. No, what please jump in, Mitch. Yeah, great. <laughs> what, what occurred to you to decide to go touch back into your friends and family in your lives? What, how did that come about in your own consciousness? Uh, I, I can't completely tell you that other than the freaks of nature. <laughs> uh, you, and maybe that is the essence of it. Life presents so many little moments to you. And if you just open your eyes, suddenly it's right there in front of you. And when you have, you know, when you're going to die, you have no other responsibility other than to grab those moments. So I had had one friend get in touch with me who I hadn't seen since college a month before diagnosis. And it was just really wonderful to be back in touch with that friend. Mm. And I just remembered that feeling. And I remembered that that felt good. And if it felt good once, well, it could feel good again. (laughs) So uh, I did that. And the first time I had cancer, uh, I did a similar thing in that I thought, who do I need to forgive? And I called him up. Who do I need to ask forgiveness of? And I wrote that letter. And who do I need to thank? And it was two high school teachers I hadn't thanked for the role they played in my life. So that had been very meaningful back then, and uh, I thought, well, this time I could do better. Mm. So, so Diana, just listening to you, you're describing a meaning-based decision-making, and that brought to you emotions, uh, or f- emotional fulfillment or well-being or happiness. Yes, you know, and, in, you know in that's the... a very fascinating thing because you realize that the goal really, frankly, isn't the cure anymore. The, the goal is how you feel today and well-being. So, so Mitch, can you, yeah. uh, I know that there are, you know, we see folks with cancer who 
who try, take advantage of kind of a range of things that are available out there. Um, some folks, you know, want the support group. Some folks want the meditation, the, the, the relaxation visualization. Some folks want more active things, exercise, n- nutrition classes. Can you, we've got just a couple minutes until our break, but can you just talk a little bit, Mitch, about some of the resources that are out there for, for, for folks to take advantage of? Yeah, exactly. Well said, Kim. You, you, you know, there, there are just the things you're describing. At the heart and soul of the patient active concept is your active engagement in your health care partnering with your physician. So the activities we're describing are all activities that there is an incredible amount of data to support their value. Uh, Diane has articulated at least three of them, nutrition, exercise, support. Mm-hmm. For many people, really being able to reduce their anxiety through meditation or relaxation exercises or even exercise itself is incredibly important. There are, again, the, the being able to use information that's incredibly valuable to you. You know, one of the things that, that we provide at Cancer Support Communities is uh, physician lectures. And the importance of the lecture is not just the information, but the opportunity to actually talk to your doctor. Being able to communicate appropriately and reasonably, have your questions asked, asked and answered by your doctor is an incredibly important tool. So there are so many pieces of this to choose from, all of which that you are central and that you can make an active difference in not only the improvement in the quality of your life, but in the moment the improvement in your quality of life that may have an impact long term. And um, and so, Mitch, just quickly, how can somebody decide what might be right for them? I mean, it, you know, maybe support group doesn't sound great to me, but something maybe a little more active or you know might appeal to me. How can somebody kind of discover that in themselves? You know, Kim, what's, what we've learned in, in much of the research is that people who happen to have cancer, they've rich, lived rich lives, and the ways that they have coped in the past can be very useful in the way that they cope today. And it's important for just to have a moment for people to think for themselves what's best for them. And typically, folks prefer to gather information. Mm -hmm. Typically, folks prefer to be with family and friends, really, as Diana is describing, who they trust. Right. So those are some so those are some good starting points for folks. We're um we're going to take a quick break here. I'm frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about coping with cancer. We will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. What is whole person healing via body, 
via mind and via spirit. It's a dedication to the widest selection of healing practices worldwide whenever possible. Hosted by Professor Rustam Roy, a noted material scientist and the founder of Friends of Health, along with co-host Alison Rose Levy, a leading integrative health journalist and media initiative director for Friends of Health. Who will be here each weekend with the most in-depth information about whole person healing from the world's leading practitioners, spokespersons, and major supporters for this viewpoint. Tune in every Saturday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and I've been having a great conversation with Diana Lindsay, a stage four lung cancer survivor, and Dr. Mitch Goland, who's Senior Vice President of, of Research and Training at the Cancer Support Community. Um, so, so Diana, did your doctors at some point propose any form of, tr- of treatment for your cancer? They did. There is a new targeted therapy called Tarceva available to lung cancer patients. Prim- it's primarily successful for those who are non-smokers, unfortunately, although they're finding that if they increase the dose, it can be of more help to um, smokers as well. And it was very successful in helping to reduce the burden um, the thing that was very fascinating about it was that as I learned to meditate and talk to my body, my body started to tell me ahead of time what my clinical results would be. And so I started to feel results both inwardly and outwardly, and the, the tumor shrunk and then it shrunk and then it shrunk and it shrunk until it had retreated to a very small piece in my left lung where it stayed for another nine months. And so how long were you on the treatment? I am still on the treatment. I've been ter- on Tarceva for four years and went back to thank the team for all that they've done for me. <laughs> and um, so did you, have you had side effects from the treatment? Have the you side had your effects, dose changed? Uh... The, no, the side effects um, were uh, intense diarrhea at the beginning, intense rash at the beginning, um, eventually half of my hair fell out. The interesting thing about Tarceva is that all of those symptoms have gone away with the exception of very curly hair and very long eyelashes, and I, I think I can live with those. <laughs> the, uh, the thing is, however, it, it didn't ultimately last. Uh, it was never intended to cure, Yes. and uh, so the cancer did come back. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about what we did next? What did you do next? Well, the interesting thing there was my doctor proposed traditional chemo, and I had had a meditation that involved a strike of light. And I just blurted out to him about some research I had read months before and had no idea how it was in my unconscious. But I said, what about CyberKnife? Our daughter's about to have a second child. I am not going to be tanked with chemo while she has while she's in labor. Yeah. Let's do CyberKnife. I want to be healthy. And he said that is impossible, can't be done. The next day we 
put a canoe and a tandem bike on the top of our car and canoe down a river and capsize twice. <laughs> but the doctor called back and said, you can do the, you can do CyberKnife. Mm-hmm. And it lasted another nine months, mm-hmm. and at that point, I had another dream, and this one said, nature will take care of it. And we interpreted that to mean that the jinjitsu that Kelly had learned, the Reiki that he was learning, because at this point we were in class, mm-hmm. he started to take Reiki classes, I started to take Qigong classes, and we thought that, that they could do it. And we got, incredibly, another nine months doing just that. And when it came uh, back for the third time, I went through quite a long process of dreaming and visualizing to know what should I do. And uh, my doctors and I all agreed that we could reverse the clock and go from palliative to curative care, and I had surgery last May. And? I am cancer-free, and my scans last week confirmed it. Wow. Wow. So, wow. So, no so this is a real four-year anniversary. Fantastic four-year anniversary. And, it's, and, it's, it's, and it sounds like it's been this incredible sort of kind of a patchwork quilt over these years, Diana. I think it's been just a deepening conversation and a continual learning about what makes me heal? And, uh, you know, you, you, just, you just keep taking it at a deeper level. You know, Mitch, as, as um, cancer becomes more complicated and how we're treating cancer becomes more complicated, it seems like patients are, and their families are being faced with decisions that patients haven't had to think about before. I mean, you know, we're used to, oh, your doctor tells you this is what, you know, medicine you're going to take or what surgery you're going to have, and that's what you do. But nowadays we hear patients saying, well, my doctor said I have a choice between this, this, or this, and that I need to, I need to decide. That seems like a big burden to put on a patient, like a sort of an overwhelming um, process. How do patients even begin to, to deal with those kinds of decisions? Well, oh, exactly, Kim. The, the first piece of shift in consciousness is that cancer is no longer considered a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Diana is living proof of that. Right. That we're facing a world of cancer that, that for, for many, cancer will be a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And that requires a paradigm shift, as Diana described, going from one form of palliative treatment yeah. to finally curative treatment, all in the span of living long enough and in the span of four years. Yeah. And so that conversation itself shifts decision-making from very, very narrow bands of options to perhaps incredibly wide range of options. It takes us back to the ability to, for patients, families, to be able to ask questions of their doctors that are meaningful to them. And there's lots of research being uh, conducted on the value of helping patients and families talk to their doctor about the questions that are important to them. In fact, there are better outcomes as a result of that. People who, who actually are able to, to ask their doctor questions, and that underscores some of the important programs that we have at the Cancer Support Community and other organizations that are a link to communicating better with your doctor. 
programs that are designed to help you problem solve, make decisions that are right for you, all of which lead to a plan that you are actively engaged in. You know, the patient active concept began in 1982, Kim, and, and I know you know this. And today, you know, some, uh, you know, nearly 28 years later, the idea of the activated patient that you are at the center in many ways, along with your healthcare team, is an incredibly powerful moment in the history of treatment of cancer. And the emotional effects are incredibly important because obviously your mood, anxiety, or depression untreated impacts your openness and clarity of making decisions with family and friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Diana, t- tell us um, tell us a little bit more. So you were faced with you know these different decisions at different points along the way. Um, tell us more about your husband. Tell us more about your children. How you involved your family in these discussions and in this in this decision making throughout. Well, my husband was invaluable. He was never uh, away from my side, mm-hmm. and because he continued to to learn these touch modalities, any moment my energy started to flag, he could raise it right back up. I didn't have to wait a month to see the doctor. I didn't have to wait a week to see a masseuse or an acupuncturist. Um, and so, and and he started to transform as well. His life started to get more well-being in it. And so we could both look at these decisions with greater detachment than we did at the beginning. Our Our children we're always part of these decisions, but there comes a point at four years, they've got their own life to lead. And so I actually, uh, about two years in, uh, started with a therapist, and I found that was tremendously helpful to help clear out what is a true inner voice, you know, and what might be an older tape. And then I think the third was this, this inner dialogue. I... I discovered through visualizing different parts of my body and having them speak back to me as if they were people and we were holding a conversation that my body could tell me what it wants. And uh, the fun, here's the funny image. The way it told me that it was time for surgery was I'm sitting in this beautiful part of my healing glen, which is a lovely place to go to in meditation. I'm sitting next to my immune system, who's a beautiful goddess-like woman, and all of a sudden my left lung pops out of my chest and lands on the ground, and my immune system puts her hands in and heals the wound. And I go, well, I guess that's pretty clear (laughs) what my body is telling me to do. Mitch, do you want to talk, I I think some of these ideas Mm-hmm. That Diane is talking about this visualization. These are, I think, maybe some new ideas for our listeners. Can you speak to that for a yeah, moment? Yeah, it, it's very interesting, Diane, to hear you talk. W- one of the um, the co-founders of the cancer support community in those days, the wellness community, is a woman by the name of Harriet Benjamin. And Harriet, who who just recently died, was when she was involved with the cancer support community in the early days. She used to lead a program called Voice Dialogue, which is about visualizing parts of yourself that you can use to talk to to be helpful in your own treatment. And you're describing in many profound ways that kind of dialogue with your body. 
And for, for many of our listeners, the idea of actually visualization is kind of a new idea. But we, it happens all the time. We're, we're, we have daydreams. We have images that are very comforting and safe for us. And that helps lower our anxiety. Just for example, if you took a moment right now for us and our listeners to take a, a deep breath and breathe in and breathe out and hold right now and visualize a place that you believe is comforting and safe for yourself, that will have an effect of just lowering your blood pressure, lowering your anxiety. And in fact, most meditations are about breathing and the ability to breathe in and breathe out. It's very simple. And for example, exercise provides a natural way for us to visualize in a way and create some relaxation response. So there are many different ways. You've described some really interesting yeah. ones, and there are very easy ones for lots of other folks to use as well. To take some of those things on, yeah. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're talking about many of the different methods and techniques to cope with cancer. Um, we're going to take a quick break on the show here, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. As you've heard throughout the episode, there are many things you can do to play a more active role in your cancer treatment and your cancer care. Um, here on the show today, we have Dr. Mitch Galant, Senior Vice President of Research at the Cancer Support Community, and Diana Lindsay, a cancer survivor who had a 1% chance to live after being diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer in 2006. Here she is with us today telling her amazing story. Um, 
we know that for you, Diana, it wasn't easy getting where you are today, and you've talked about some of the um, uh, different uh, techniques that you engage to help uh, cope with cancer, help battle cancer, help work your way through this the, the process. Mitch, uh, at the end of the last uh, at the end of the last segment, we were talking a little bit about some of the ways that um, some of those interesting techniques that people can engage and utilize to manage cancer. You said there's a lot a lot that's important around, around breathing and meditation. Can you just um, maybe recap a couple of those uh, a couple sure. of those things that people can do to help manage that incredible anxiety? Yes, yes, exactly. You know, in face of uncertainty, the one of the techniques that has been really successful is trying to trigger what's called the relaxation response, which is the body's own ability to calm itself in, in, in moments of distress. And, and the relax, relaxation response is triggered just by the act of breathing in and breathing out. It has an effect at two levels. One, it actually, the breathing in has a calming effect on the nerve endings that go directly to the brain and the anxiety centers. But it also creates oxygen in the cells, which are really important for them to be able to, to release the toxins that get stored in the body. When we, kind of when we're anxious, you know, can we hold our breath? Yeah, yeah. And it's just an incredibly important moment to think about breathing. And there are ways, you know, that, that folks have naturally go about uh, triggering that relaxation response. Some of it is, is just exercise, going for walks. It begins the, uh, the, the normal uh, rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. So you get the benefit physiologically of yeah. exercise, toning, but you also get this incredible response internally, which is the lowering of anxiety. And we all heard about the impact of exercise on endorphins. That's what we're talking about here. The endorphins are those chemicals that actually trigger or release anxiety. And, you know, frankly, support is another way of lowering anxiety. Just talking to others about your feelings and having them nod or listen is incredibly anxiety-reducing and is is very helpful in, in lowering anxiety, improving mood, feeling connected, less alone. And in fact, Diana describes so many different methods, you know. Just think about her relationship with Kelly for a moment. And, and you know, practically support groups provide that kind of support. If you don't really have it with a loved one or you live alone, you know, I, I think Diana has, has, uh, is blessed with that kind of connection. And there are ways of getting that connection that are also anxiety-reducing and that are also part of that mind-body connection. Yeah, yeah. Diana, why have you chosen to talk so openly um, about your own cancer experience? What do you hope that people will will gain from from hearing your story? When I was first diagnosed, my niece walked in the room and said, I have a friend whose mother had stage 4 lung cancer and it went into remission. It was one sentence. I don't know who the friend was. I don't know who the mother was. I don't know whether she made it or she didn't make it, but that one sentence turned the tide for me. Mm. So I figure if I can talk on a show and I can write a book, it'll just be that much more help. Mm-hmm. And um, have you had some interesting conversations with folks battling cancer? Have you... Uh had some interesting conversations and stories with those folks? Yes, I think every cancer journey is different because yeah. every every cancer is different and every person is different. Yeah. And 
I respect that. You know, I don't think that my journey is a prescription for somebody else. But the kind of uh, relaxation and inner dialogue, that's pretty new for people. And that seems to be something that uh, people really get benefit from. Cancer patients are faced with interminable numbers of minutes in the dark of night, Mm. and you have to get through them. And one way that I did that was through this visualization, and another way, like the breathing that Mitch talked about, was to simply envision a ball of healing, warm, loving energy that moves up your back, slowly, over your head, and down your front in just this very loving, gentle loop. And that was one thing that uh, that I did often, and I've... I've helped some other people find that place within themselves. Yeah. You know, Diane, when you talk, you notice how your voice tone gets softer and and more, you know, rounded, if you will. It's relaxing just hearing you say those words. And in so many of the programs of the Cancer Support Community, they're, they're geared to trigger that kind of feeling. To bring yourself in the in your particular visualization, it brings us right into the present moment. And for most of us, the relaxation response that's triggered is by letting in that for this very moment, we're okay. The we're next okay. moment may change, but mm-hmm. for this moment, mm-hmm. we're okay. Mm-hmm. And hearing your visualization and, and the tone of your voice is incredibly comforting. And that's a critical piece of what goes on in in many support programs. You know, you guys were um, unfortunately moving to the end of the show. Um, I feel like we could stay on. Oh my God, Jim, too short. Having this conversation, I know, I know. But um, I just want to ask both of you quickly, um, and I'm going to start with you, Diana. If you could give, you know, kind of a piece of advice to uh, our listeners, something that uh, they should know or think about uh, when they're when they're diagnosed with cancer, what would that what would that be, Diana? What would you tell them listening today? I think I'd tell them two things. One, that the known world of your doctor is not your known world that we tend to put so much stock in that prognosis and in the limited um, medicine cabinet that's available to us, yeah. and we, that we create that wall around ourselves and think we have to live there, yeah. but we don't. And what is available to us to heal our souls and our spirit and our lives is immeasurable. And that is what we can spend our time doing. And that's all anybody can spend their time doing. There's no guarantee for any of us that we will wake up tomorrow. So we can feel better today, and we can find love, and we can find joy. And the very process of that is an astonishing gift and, and one where every day counts. Beautifully said. Beautifully said, Diana. Um, Mitch, from your perspective, you've been working with cancer patients for 25 years. Just a quick tip before we wrap up here. Well, truthfully, Kim, uh, is probably more interested in Diane's perspective than mine. But what touches me about what Diane is saying is that you're not alone. 
that there are programs and services and family and friends who want to join with you as you fight for recovery, whatever you define that to be. And we're all here to do that together. Yeah, yeah. Cancer touches everyone's life at some point. Yeah. We know someone with cancer. You're not alone. You guys have just been amazing, wonderful show today, really powerful. Um, I want to let our listeners know that if they'd like more information about our organization, the Cancer Support Community, as I said earlier, we we have 100 locations around the country, um, beautiful centers. We run programs in hospitals and community centers. Um, We have wonderful educational materials online. Uh, So we'd love for you to visit us and take advantage of these free services that we have for people with all cancers at all different stages of disease and also for their family members and loved ones, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can also give us a call at 888-793-9355. Also follow us on Twitter um, and tell us what future topics you'd like to hear on the show. Uh, Last but not least, I want to take a moment to make a special dedication. I want to dedicate today's show in loving memory of our dear friend Harriet Benjamin. Harriet was the co-founder of the wellness community, and she passed away recently from lung cancer. Uh, Harriet was an inspiration uh, to all of us and will truly be missed. Her legacy will continue to live on in the lives of the people we serve at the Cancer Support Community. We just send our love uh, to her family. Until next time on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Support Community.org.